there we go. Well, we had a good start already and uh, with our morning services. And, uh, you know, once we got everybody situated out, I mean, we've had a lot of people that had to do this, that, and the other to get all straightened out, but we're all here now, and that's the best thing. Let's take our Bibles, let's go to the, the book of Psalms, chapter 19. You know, one thing about people that tune in from, uh, whether on Facebook or uh, listen to the uh, radio spot that we put out, you know, on uh, communications through either the radio or the phone, whatever it might be, the one thing they don't really get is the attitude or the atmosphere that we have here at this congregation. And uh, the thing is, we just uh, let, let everybody know that's in Facebook land or whatever. We had a lot of people that were just here, and we just went around and we had our handshake and, and uh, greeted everybody with holy hugs and a few kisses along the way. We'll just let, let it go from there. But the beautiful thing is we get to know each other in a very personal way. We open ourselves up. I remember many years ago when I was in seminary that I was told we don't hug people. You know, you as a preacher should never hug people. And I went, uh, and he goes, because, you know, people can get the wrong idea. And I'm thinking, holy cow. I said, you know, uh, I'm not hugging people to try to, you know, get, my, you know, get myself sexually oriented or anything else. I'm doing it because of love. And I even told the preacher that presented that. I said, you may do it for the wrong reason, but I do it out of love. And so I want you to know this, is that we love one another that's in this congregation, and we're glad we can uh, enjoy it. And once again, we hope that others will t come in and see who we are and what we're like. And uh, if you don't know it, we've got a beautiful message to, to enjoy, and we've got even better food to enjoy afterwards. So I want you to get that, and if you're not here, that's, it really hurts to be yourself. All right, let's take our Bibles, let's go to Psalms 19, and I want us to look at a message that is called, He is Coming. And what I love about this is, of course, this time of year, everybody is focusing on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, we know that there's the winter solstice and everything else and all the paganism that has been kind of wrapped up in it. But may I point this out to you that even something special is written in the Bible about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is of the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as, as a man to run a race. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is referring to constellations. Now, I don't, how many of you see that in verse 5, where it says, And as the bridegroom cometh out of his chamber, that's a constellation. And then it says, And rejoices through the strong man to run a race. That's a constellation. Let's go on. Verse 6. And he goeth forth as from the end of the earth to his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise 
the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lords are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. This morning I'd like for us to take a look at this particular passage as we are thinking about the Lord's coming and his return. There are so many things that I see in the scriptures, and yet the more that I follow after the things in the, uh, the book of Psalms, as well as those things that are written in the New Testament, the more I realize that there is a great responsibility for us to preach the entirety of God's law and his word. So today as we begin our, our study, I pray the Lord will just continue to bless us and help us to be faithful into all things. Let us pray. Lord, again I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand before the congregation. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you give me the opportunity not only to preach the Word of God, but be faithful in the things that you have written before us today. I want to thank you again, Lord, for your blessings. I want to thank you, Lord, for your care. And I pray that in all things we may rejoice in you. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful in all things. Guide us and bless. And may we rejoice in that which you have given. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. There's a modern movie that came out not too long ago in which the people were called upon to declare their faith in, in Santa Claus. Uh, maybe you've seen this. And uh, pretty soon uh, there was one person that turned around and, and he said, there is no such thing as Santa Claus and so on and so forth. And the very end of the movie, there is someone who shows a badge that they have on their lapel that says, I believe. And someone has it hidden in their purse and they, a sign that says, I believe. And I wonder how many people are really seeing that what they've done is they're accepting the belief in the image of someone who doesn't exist to someone that does exist. What really got me in this movie was that there was uh, presented to the judge, you know, in support of this, a dollar bill in which it said, in God we trust. Now here's what bothered me about that movie, and, and all the way to the very end of it. They did not come out and say that God is fictitious, but they gave interludes of it. So even in the judge and his response was, well, if we can believe in a God that we cannot see, there it is, then how can we say there is no such thing as Santa Claus? The difference is we believe in all people that they want to say, well, billions of years ago, I do not believe, and I'll even go on record, I do not believe in billions of years. I believe in the young earth. I believe that our earth is just now reaching 6,000 years of age, not 6 billion years of age. And the reason is, the more that they extend out that time, the more it becomes the inability of man to measure or even come up with these things. And yet, they ignore the fact that there was a global, any kind of global catastrophe. And in fact, one person made this statement, well, we, we know that there were local floods. What do you mean there's local floods? Well, there was a global... 
No, wait a minute. The Bible. teaches us. Now, with this in mind, I want us to think about what it speaks about in verse 1 where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, let's take a look at the heavens. If I look at the heavens, and, and again, I can just bring all kinds of imagery for everyone to see. Even when God said to Abraham, he said, take a look at the stars and count the number of stars if you can. I believe that God... Uh, even Abraham could see well and as his eyes became accustomed to the things that were there there was an innumerable amount in fact let me just put it this way there is even more stars than the entire population of the earth right now and I can't help but believe that when God had told Abraham that there will be the population will be like the sands of the sea and as the stars in the heaven, that there's actually speaking of two different groups of people. The Jewish people will be greater than the sands of the sea, and the redeemed shall be greater than the stars in heaven. Now think about that for a moment. So as we take a look at the Word of God, I wonder how many of us have ever taken into account what it says in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, if I go back, and again, I'm going to hold my place here. I'm going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And let's go to chapter 1. Now, mind you, we've been looking at Genesis chapter 1 on Wednesday nights as we've been doing our studies. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a prelude that, uh, of what we're going to be studying this, Lord's willing, this, this coming Wednesday. In verse 14, it goes down to where we are now looking at the lights that were added into heaven. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Now, I want you to know this, that God had placed this wonderful constellation of stars in the heavens. Uh, do you know that the Bible speaks of Urian's belt? It speaks of how that you have Pilates and how that you have the chambers that are in Pilates. I mean, there's just so much for us to really comprehend. And I want to, I got news for you. I have never studied the constellations. And the reason is they look like stars to me. Sorry, but yeah, bad pun, but there it is. I mean, let's put it this way. And I don't think that what we see today is the same thing that was shown to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Now, here's the reason I say that. If you ever look at the swirling image of water, and again, I believe that there was a great canopy in space. And the canopy in space probably took those pictures and made them almost like an image that moved because of the lights. And as those lights shone down, I imagine they could see Virgo. Now, mind you, Virgo became a name that came many years later. But how many of you all know that Virgo was actually called the Virgin to begin with? And how many of you all know that... Out of the first... ...it speaks of another... 
that the scripture teaches us that the stars even had the declaration before that the birth didn't come to pass until 4,000 years later. You see, many times we think that we're smarter than the individuals that lived back during the days of Adam. But those people that were there, they lived longer, they had a greater mindset, they could literally, they didn't suffer through the same debilitating diseases that we have today. They could see things in a very rich and powerful way. How many of us know that? And yet, when they saw the stars and they saw all the, th the images that were there, there was one that it, it literally came back down and said, these are the processes of God for us to understand. Now, I'm going to slow down here just for a moment, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Even before the printed word, God gave us the printed word. The heavens declare the glory of God. Even in the stars that we have, and they never change. Have you ever noticed that? The constellations never change. Now, I, again, you have about 30 days to where you see a particular constellation. You have Leo, you have uh, the lion, you have all, all these different things. And, and I, again, I don't spend a lot of time on the constellations, especially since everybody goes, oh, you're a Virgo. No, I'm not a Virgo in the way that you think it is. I'm a Virgo because I understand a little bit about the Virgin. But may I point out, more than anything, God gave the intent of us to understand his purpose. There was a book, and again, I, I, I want to be very careful, but the writer was Dr. D. James Kennedy. He was, he, was, he was a Presbyterian writer, and he was one of those individuals that he could literally just speak the message and it was amazing. I mean, literally, you paid attention. How many of you ever listened to David Jeremiah? David Jeremiah has that same ability. He can actually speak the Word of God in such a way that he can read it and everybody understands it. I pretty much have to be a moving target for people to listen to what I have to say, okay? But he wrote a book called The Signs of the Zodiac, and he's been criticized for it because he pointed out long before mankind had ever considered the constellations and given the, the attributes of today, which by the wickedness of man's hands we have altered the message, he said those constellations had never changed. And for us to believe what the Bible says here in Psalms chapter 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork, all of these things have to come together. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. When we take a look at the glory of God as it was mentioned, the people of the Old Testament were not looking for the return of Jesus as we are today. Now, let this sink in. They were not looking for the return of Jesus. They were looking for the coming of Jesus. They were looking for Messiah. How do I know that? Let's go over and let's take a look at it. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 just for a moment. And in Luke chapter 2, we find a couple things that I want us to see. All right, let's, let's take a look at it. In Luke chapter 2, well, I'm in Luke, but I'm way over here. My page is sticking today for some reason. In Luke chapter 2, I want us to go down and see all that happened to 
Jesus at his birth. All right, let's go down, if you will, to verse 32. Uh, and uh, like to lighten the Gentiles and the people and, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and, Mar and Mary, or, and the mother, revealed at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Now, I want you to think about everything that happened with Simeon. Simeon was given an insight, and that's the thing that's beautiful throughout all the, the time of Scripture. We found the insight that they were looking for the coming Messiah, and every time that we found that the Messiah was coming, they took that to heart. They believed everything that was being said of them. And that not everyone expected Jesus to come as he did, but those that did knew that he would come in his own power and glory. When Simeon was looking every day, can you imagine the age? And he was promised by the constellation of Israel that he would not die until he had seen and held Messiah. Every day he looked at mothers and fathers coming in to the door. That one's not, that one's not, that one's not. But imagine the day when he was whispered in the ear, lift up your eyes, here he comes. Lift up your eyes, for here he comes. Now, at that moment, Simeon knew exactly. Look what it says in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the constellation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. I thought the Holy Ghost didn't come till later. No, the Holy Ghost has always been here. And he gave insight that we would understand what the Scripture says. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. There again is the promise. You're going to see that this Messiah is coming. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God. If we had such a relationship with God in our own messages and that we could take the very thing that we know is going to happen. Let me just put it this way. I preached on last week the opportunity that what if we knew we had just one year left upon this earth? You know, it's interesting, Sister Janice made a comment that Buddy has a friend that is, uh, his name is Bob, and he has about one year left. Imagine with one year, what are you going to do with one year? Are you going to go out and tell your family about Jesus Christ? Are you going to try to fulfill your bucket list? Which might mean, look at all the different things that I haven't done. You see, I look at it this way. If I knew that I had a limited amount of time, I should be doing more, not less for Christ. And the sad part is, we are more accustomed to doing less for Christ. Look what else it says. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. So the things that were declared in Psalms chapter 19 are already fulfilled. 
And here's the thing that's so beautiful about it. Those consolations were set in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Now, come on. Let, let's be serious. God didn't just say, well, let's see, how am I going to make this work? Oh, I'll just redo all these stars. He didn't do it that way. He did it from the foundations of the world. And let me show you how powerful that is. Let's go to the Ephesians chapter 1. And a lot of people hate this. But Ephesians chapter 1, notice what it says beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 5. Paul, not according to the will of man, I didn't even want the will of God in my life. I'm going to be honest with you. Because I was enjoying halfway decent money as an engineer, and I, I learned a lot of things as an engineer, but God had other plans. God had other plans. By the will of God, I'm a preacher of his word. To the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God. The heavenly places, this is a heavenly place. But even more so, from the beginning were the stars in heaven. Look what else it says. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame for him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, every little thing is designed by the will of God. Now, does that mean that I can blame God for any fault or any calamity? No, I am still going to commit wrongdoing in my life. I'm still going to commit sin because I I don't want that in my life. The beauty of it is, even before the foundations of the world, before the first star was planted in the skies, before the earth was ever commanded to have a foundation, God had already worked it out and had it all planned out. And the scripture teaches me that I am part of a long chain elected unto God. I did not deserve to be saved. Anyone here feel like you deserve to be saved? Anyone here feel like you Now that he's made us everything, we should rejoice in him. Now isn't that beautiful? A lot of people hate the, the term election. But you know, without election, no one would be saved. I was bound, you know, someone asked me one time, well, don't you believe that everybody can make their way back? I jumped off the precipice and I was bound for hell when Christ saved me. If I had not been revealed the cause of Christ, I would bust hell wide open. But Christ said, no, 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 you're mine. Who reversed my direction? Who predetermined my path? 
I mean, I looked at this as that I struggled for time and time and time again about whether I should preach the Word of God or not. I struggled over the, the, the fact that God has allowed me to see so many things. But the beautiful thing was, I began to see certain things and this mind grabbed it. But then the Spirit announced it. I want you to think about that for a moment. When the mind and the spirit of the man works together because the Holy Spirit has made me understand that I'm a child of God. Now, I, I told you all this, that the whole plan of this is to show that even before it was ever announced in writing that the coming Messiah was going to ever be with us. I want you to get this. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. And by the way, the book of Isaiah, as you look at it, Again, it's written about 700 years or about 1,000 years before Christ would come. Let me get over here just a moment, make sure I'm in the right place. There we go. I got stuck on the Song of Solomon. All right, but look what it says beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah. Now, watch, here's what's beautiful. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Now, wait a minute. You, you, maybe you don't understand this. These are names, but they were long before they were even born. Why is this so important? Because it says that he is the son of Amos, but he was writing down all the things beginning with Uzziah. How many of you all know how Uzziah died? How many of you all know that Uzziah tried to usurp the authority of God by making himself king and priest? How many of you all know that he was smote with leprosy? But guess what? Then we have Ahaz. Then we have Hezekiah. Then we have the kings of Judah. You see, everything that was in place was there and a design for us to grab the purpose of God in the beautiful way that he did it. Now I want you to see this. Let's go to chapter 9. And I love chapter 9. As a matter of fact, there's not a passage of Scripture that I don't enjoy. But I love this one in particular because we find the existence of God in the message. Look what it says in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Why? Because you see, had he come out of glory as we if we expected Messiah to us because we know who he is. If he appeared out of many, because they still want to put him to death now, or confuse the world with who he is. But I want you to get this. It says, he come as a child. In chapter uh, 11, verse 2, I think it is, it says, it, well, excuse me, let's back up. Let's go to chapter 7 just for a moment. And in chapter 7, we are told that he is going to be not only a child that he comes, but he shall be born of a virgin. Look at verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. You know, I've been, I, I wish I could just sit down and make everybody understand. Everything that was declared in the Old Testament is now fulfilled for us in the New Testament. Do you realize that when we read how that a virgin shall conceive, then our attention
attention is drawn over to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, how that an angel named Gabriel would come to Mary and say, you are highly favored among women. Now, there were other women, but there was something about Mary that would endure to the very end. She was not a god. She was not a goddess. She wasn't what the Roman Catholics want to make her today. She wasn't any of that. But the thing that is beautiful is she was a willing instrument to be used of God. And let me stop here for a moment. How many of us are willing instruments to be used of God? Lord, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of God. And the Holy Spirit impregnated her. Now I want you to think about this. He impregnated her in such a way that she broke the matrix. The baby when he was born broke the matrix. Proof that she was a virgin. Now think about that. And if you don't know what that means, because I don't want to be the least a little bit vulgar, I'll explain that to you a little bit later. But she was something special. Here's the other thing that's interesting. His name is going to be called Emmanuel. How do I know that? Let's go over to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, notice again something so powerful. These things are written that we might believe and that we might have the grace of God more abundantly. In Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 21. And she brought forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord of the prophets, saying, Behold a virgin, there it is, shall, cons- shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God is with us. If you don't have a little label right there beside that where you have Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, go ahead and write that down. That way you'll have quick reference to that fulfillment. But I want you to get this as well. Mary was willing to be a used instrument of God. Now let's go back and let's see what else it says. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. Now, I personally don't believe that this has been fulfilled yet. I don't believe it's going to be fulfilled until he rules and reigns for all of eternity up over this globe, beginning with his millennial reign. Not only that, but notice what it says about him. He shall be called wonderful. What's interesting is, at first, the Antichrist will be one to be called that. The Antichrist will say, come on, call me even think about him as being wonderful. But when Christ comes, have you ever considered Christ? Oh, there's so many things that I want us to be able to see as we go into Isaiah, how that it says a child shall live to be, you know, eternal as a child, and an old man at 100 years, and the explanation that I find behind it. But even more so, the wonder of Christ shall be that there's an eternity that goes beyond expectation. Look what else it says. Uh, in, in verse 6 it says, He shall be called Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma. If you have modern translations, it's the comma between Wonderful and Counselor has been removed. And yet in the original Greek Masoretic text, that comma exists. The reason is, he's more than just a Wonderful Counselor. His name is wonderful. 
We actually sing that song, do we not? His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His But even think about this. Many times we seek out we seek out earthly counsel. But the best counsel is when I sit down at Jesus' feet and I say, Teach me. Help me to understand. Time and again I find myself always wondering why this or why that? Lord, why aren't we seeing more people saved? Why aren't people flooding into that congregation? Why aren't we, you know, we've been given the masterful truth. Why aren't we seeing more? And it's as though the Lord is saying, trust me. Now, I want you to get this, folks. I trust Jesus Christ. And the more I live, the more I understand His trust. The mighty God. His name, his, he's not only the mighty God, he's the everlasting Father. Have you ever thought when the Lord said to them in prayer, he said, pray our Father. How many of us have ever anticipated that we're actually praying to Jesus? He is my Father. And yet there's still a God the Father. Figure it out. And when you have that greater understanding, let me know. Not only that, but look at, he's also called the Prince of Peace. He was born just outside. He was born just outside of Jerusalem. He was born in the little town of Ephratah, Bethlehem of Ephratah. And yet, in his name is the power of Christ. I'm, I thought about this for a moment. Next week, the Lord's going to explain to you about the sheep coat and how important it was that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah. But I want you to see what it says in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Is there any peace right now? Maybe in this church we have peace. Maybe in this congregation we feel protected. But what... If we don't know Jesus Christ, that peace is stripped from us. In order, and notice what it says. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end... Upon the throne of David, again, he had to be born out of, out of David's lineage, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. You know, many times I have found in my lifetime that I think that I have the greatest zeal in the world, only to find that I have many promises that are broken. Now, I have a lot more notes. <laughs> But I'm also starting to smell food. May I point this out to you? We are just chipping away at the iceberg. We just now come to that conclusion of that He is masterful, that He is Almighty God, and the Lord's willing. Next week, we shall see it all come together. But more than that, I want you to look at what it says in this particular passages, when the Lord said, David. The kingdom is going to be with you. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning of verse 13 and 14, he goes, The kingdom is stripped from you, Saul. That was earth. And it's given to another who is God. 
the plan that you have is earthy, but the plan I have is eternal. And if I can make anyone understand, it would be the eternal grace that is in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to stop here just for a moment, and let's finish up the message like this. If Jesus Christ comes today, will you be with him? Do we know without a shadow of a doubt that Christ is with us? Do we know that it was written from the beginning that our names were imprinted on the hands of Christ when he died, but even more so, we were planted and planned before the foundations of the world? I know it sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But that's the difference in knowing God with full power and God in minute power. So my message is do you know Christ as your Savior? It tells us to make our calling and our election sure in all of Scripture. Do we know that? He is going to come back for us soon. Let's pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to present thy word. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful unto thee in all things. Guide and bless now. And may we rejoice in thy name, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, I turn it over to you.